Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Hallelujah. All right. We're going to jump right into this. We're in uh, another week of the series, Satisfied, so we're going to continue it this week. And to be honest with you, to get a little vulnerable, um, knowing that I was going to uh, speak today and preach today, I just began to mentally prepare and prayerfully prepare about what to share today, like several weeks ago. And, and I felt like God gave me a direction and, and um, God gave me uh, something to, to kind of hit and, and it felt like something that he wanted to do. And it was so cool. We're in the Beatitudes, by the way, Matthew 5, and we're just walking along that passage. And so last week I come in and uh, I missed first service because I had a funeral. The first service, I ended up coming to second service. And all that was on my heart to preach, uh, Pastor Sam was preaching. And I was like, thank you, Lord. Okay, that ain't it, Lord. Let me go somewhere else. And it's so funny how sometimes the things that you need to hear are like so apropos to the, the time and the service that God speaks it. And it was crazy because I was in a time of grief and mourning. And, and it was exactly what God had, had shown uh, Sam to preach. And I just was, was sitting there receiving. And uh, I believe just as the same, God has something for this morning. I believe that God is going to speak. So I encourage you to open your hearts. Amen. Because God, God wants to, to do some things. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 5, I'm just going to jump on verse 7. It says, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for another opportunity to be enriched by your word, to be changed by your word, to be challenged and sharpened by your word. And I pray, Holy Ghost, that you would take this opportunity, God, as we are under, Lord Jesus, the authority of, of what you've spoken, Lord God. And what you're speaking currently, God, not just what you spoke hundreds of, uh, of years ago, but what you're speaking right now to us. I pray that our hearts would be open, God. Our, our spiritual ears would be attuned to what you have to say, God. I just pray everything that may be in the way, everything that, that may erect itself as a wall against, God, what you're speaking to us in the moment would be removed right now in Jesus' name. And use this African-American chocolate preacher this morning. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thanks, Johnny. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, I think that, that we all in some place, some form or fashion, we deal or we wrestle with some uh, sort of sin. And I, and I think that the sins of the heart, rather than the sins in the flesh, maybe impede us a little bit more from perfecting into the image of Jesus Christ. When I say sins of the flesh, you know, some of you may be familiar with the saying, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't run with those that do. Maybe those things that are manifested on the outside that someone else would look at and say, bro, you, you need Jesus to change you in that area. Or you got sin in it. You, maybe you're lying all the time and it's just like your lies are so blatant. Like, bro, you just need to stop lying, bro. Or, you know, you, you, you got this habit of stealing stuff or whatever it is. Like, you got those sins of the flesh that are just readily you know, present so others, you know, they can, they can see them. But then there's those sins of the heart that we can have a smile on our face, we can have our hands lifted in worship, but nobody else but God and us know that we are dealing with these things, right? You know, we say, oh, bless you, brother, but we're full of envy and jealousy against uh, a certain individual, or we got so much pride, you know, we got a smile on our face, but we're walking around haughty and, and proud, thinking that we're better than anybody else. It doesn't have a, maybe a necessary outward manifestation, but it's going on on the inside. So, so I think God, when God comes to address, obviously he comes to address our heart first. And when we look at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, you know, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Really what Jesus is doing as he's teaching his disciples is he's showing them, he's painting a picture of himself and his character, something to emulate and something to grow up into as mature believers. We can see Jesus all throughout the Beatitudes, and he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What does that look like? What does that look like? For us who've been Christians or believers for any length of time, we hopefully we know what, what mercy looks like, right? So much so that as we got up this morning that God says he had brand new mercies, fresh mercies waiting on us because he know we needed it. His, Lamentations 3 says his mercies are brand new every morning. Romans 5, we're going to read in Romans 5, 6 through 10, it says, when we were utterly helpless with no way of uh, escape, Christ came just as a, at the right time and died for us sinners who had no use for him. Even if we were good, we really wouldn't expect anyone to die for us, though of course that may be barely possible. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners track with me now while we were still sinners and since by his blood he did all this for us as sinners how much more will he do for us now that he has declared us not guilty now he will save us from all of God's wrath to come and since we were his enemies what 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 since we were his enemies we were brought back to God by the death of his son what blessings he must have for us now that we are his friends and he is living within us while we were utterly helpless while we were yet sinners And while we were his enemies, God had mercy upon us. Though we didn't deserve it, though we weren't in a place of deserving this for it, God still gave it to us. Praise God for his mercy. Our God, the God of heaven, the God of earth, he is a God that's full of mercy. Full of mercy. And at the same token, he has all the embodiment of mercy. He is a God of justice at the same time. How do those two coincide? How do those two go together? Uh, Psalm 89, 14, it says, the very uh, righteousness and justice are the very foundation of your throne, God. How you rule and how you reign is established on your righteousness and your justice. Full of mercy, but full of justice at the same time. God is just. That's a part of his character. There's never a time, there's never a time where God is not just. There's never a time in the history of mankind where he's been unjust. Matter of fact, he defines and sets the standard for true justice, what justice really looks like. And when he created us, he made us in his image, he made us with that same strong desire for, for justice. And we as humans created in his image, we naturally we long for some sort of system in place by where the infractions or the violations or the offenses or the injustices against us or maybe against the ones that we love, or maybe people we don't even know. We see stuff happening and say, that's not right. That, that thing bubbles up inside of us because of that imprintation of the nature of God upon us. Anybody ever felt like, man, they're not treating right, or they're getting bullied, and you feel like something rising up, against, uh, something rising up inside of you to want to step in and say something? That's the characteristic of God in us as we are in his image. Now, my kids, I want to tell you, my kids, they have several systems in place by where they can see the justice or they can see justice carried out. Those of you who have kids, you, you could probably, you know, feel my, feel my pain. Um, 
the most common way that they want to see justice happen is they end up coming to us. You know, mom and dad, you know, uh, could be my son. Dad, you know, Bristol's not sharing with me. Or dad, London's taking too long in the bathroom. Or it could be whatever. But they're always coming and telling on each other, right? Norma and Tommy, you guys, you know, you probably could write a book on how to, you know, settle disputes between your kids. It's always something like every day, like just stop telling on your brother and sister. It's not that serious, right? Or just like a few days ago, my daughter Bristol, she comes down the stairs, uh, literally, Dad, Dad, Jones hit me in the face. Tears streaming down. Jones hit me in the face. Now, Jones is her cousin, right? We're blessed to have family from Arizona. Six little kids under one roof. Everything is fine. Like, it's, it's all fun and games in the first 10 minutes. But after, you know, give it a couple of days, right? Give it a couple of days. Something's bound to go wrong. So my daughter comes down the stairs, Jones hit me in the face, crying. And then Jones, you know, he gets, she starts to calm down, calm down and she sees Jones get reprimanded by his father, which is my daughter's uncle. Jones, that's not right. We don't hit people in the face. We just don't go around doing that. So she's starting to calm down, seeing that some sort of justice is happening, right? And then literally five minutes later, no joke, as, I, as I'm sitting down to, to prepare for this message, channeling drama, Jones's little brother, uh, Jace, two years old, comes up to me, feeling the injustice of his cousin. Jones hit Bristol in the face. Right? Nothing had to, nothing to do with him, right? He probably just wanted to see his brother get in trouble. But he comes up to me telling on his brother about how he hit my daughter in the face. Can anybody relate? Just me? My kids crazy sometimes? All right. But we naturally have this, this longing where we desire some sort of system in place by where justice can be fulfilled. They normally come to us, you know, parents, mom and dad. Sometimes they have another system, and, and it's, it's called an eye for an eye. Oh, you hit me, I'm, I'm going to hit you back. We're going to settle this one way or another. I, I'll make sure you ain't hitting me no more, right? Now, really, what my kids are looking for when they're desiring justice is they are wanting a higher authority to step in and enact justice. When they come to their mom or come to their dad or their uncle, whoever, they're looking for somebody in a place of authority to step in. and. And that, that desire is embedded in all of us. And when we get into places of, check this out, unresolved violations of our own justice system, we can find ourselves in a place of being merciless rather than merciful. That Jesus exemplified and, and encouraged us in, in Matthew 5. And this morning, we're just going to dive into a biblical char- character where he had an issue where there was something that he hadn't dealt with or something that was dealing with him, that he refused to walk in mercy in. And we're going we're gonna to look at his biblical character. We're going to start in First Chronicles 27. If you can go with me. It tells a story of this man named Ahithophel. And really, Ahithophel was King David's counselor. It says in uh, verse 33 of 27, Ahithophel was the king's counselor. And Hushai, somebody say Hushai. Hushai. I just like his name. That's a cool name. Uh, we're not talking about Hushai, we're really talking about Hithophel. But Ahithophel was king's counselor, and Hushai, the archite, was the king's companion. Now, this guy, Ahithophel, he was not only the counselor to David, but he was literally the man when it came to giving good, sound wisdom, good, sound advice. Anybody have any people in your life like that where, you know, you can lean upon them, you need advice? You got big decisions you need to make. I say, oh, I know exactly who to call. I'm going to call so-and-so. I know whatever they got to give me is, is going to be good. It's going to be full of wisdom. 
I know I got several people like that in my life. I know this house is full of people that just walk in wisdom. If you don't have individuals in your life that carry wisdom and walk in wisdom, I encourage you to do a couple of things. Seek them out and pray them in. I mean, no, we need each other. Somebody says, man, I can live as a Christian. I can live as a believer on my own. I don't need nobody else. Okay, then. Well, you're going to miss out on much of what God has for you if you have that mentality because we need each other. I love James. James says, if you lack wisdom, all you need to do is ask. And he says, he says if you ask in faith without doubting, he says, I'm going to give to you liberally without finding. I'm going to give you all the wisdom you need. But sometimes we discount the method by which God delivers that wisdom to us. It could be through a brother or sister of Christ, somebody that we look at like, man, they ain't got nothing to give me. Or, man, they, they tripping. I don't know who they, they, they all live over there doing their own thing. And that may be the very individual that God uses to speak into your life. Come on, somebody. We need each other. We need the body. We can't be islands under ourselves. And I praise God for individuals that he strategically placed in my life at critical junctures where I needed to hear from God. And God did speak, and he, and he used a man or a woman. Or, or someone in my life to, to, to give that word of wisdom that I needed in due time. And this is what this man, Ahithophel, was. He carried an immense, a crazy amount of wisdom. Thus, David said, man, you got the goods. Come on, you got to hang with me. You're going to be my right-hand guy, right? Proverbs uh, 1, verse 5, it says, A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. I love this. In Proverbs 24, 6, it says, For for by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. This is what this is said about this guy, Ahithophel. 2 Samuel 16, 23, and I know I'm, I got a lot of scriptures here, but we're actually going to cover the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelations. Just give me time. All right. Just, just all right. If, if you, if you, hopefully you don't fall asleep. I think we may have coffee in the lobby. I don't know if we got coffee out there, Red Bulls. But please, uh, we're just be patient as we cover a lot of scripture this morning. Second Samuel 16, 23, it says, Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. Man. And so was the advice of Ahithophel with both David and Absalom. So you see now another individual in the picture concerning relationship. We know he's David's advisor. Who, what's up with Absalom, though? I love the translation or New Living Translation of that same verse. It says, Absalom followed Ahithophel's advice as David had done. For every word Ahithophel spoke, check this, seemed as wise as though it came directly from the mouth of God. Crazy. Can you imagine that, man? David, when he called on this guy, Ahithophel, it was like he was directly talking to God concerning decisions he needed to make, moves he had to do, what, what, what direction to go in. It's like, man, I need to get this guy, Ahithophel, in my corner. So what's the story on this guy, right? We're all building this up, but this guy, this immense wisdom, was he had the goods right above the natural man. There was just a, just a crazy amount of wisdom. What's wrong with this guy? We're going to see in 2 Samuel 15 through 17. Bear with me as I read all three chapters. I'm kidding. Just to give you a synopsis, what went down in those passages, if you want to go back and read it, I encourage you to do that. 2 Samuel chapter 15 through 17. We can see that Absalom, David's son, he began to steal away the hearts of the men of Israel. And really what he was doing, he developed this conspiracy to uh, overtake the kingdom, and he wanted to overthrow King David. He put is basically like he started a coup. He's like, man, I'm going to take over my dad's kingdom. But he realized that in the midst of all this that he couldn't do it alone. He realized that he needed help. He needed somebody on his side to help him through this process. So the piece of the puzzle that he was seeking 
was found in Ahithophel. And thus Ahithophel became part of Absalom's conspiracy. You see that the, the tides start to shift a little bit. This guy that carried all this wisdom, wait, wait, hold on a second. I thought David was a good king. I thought he was in the right place. Why are you going to Absalom's side? It doesn't seem like Absalom is making the right decisions, but you want to go with him? Okay, that's what you want. 2 Samuel 15, 12, it says, And Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city Gilo. When he, has, when he was offering sacrifices and the conspiracy was strong for the people increased with Absalom. So Absalom is gaining more power. He's gaining more strength. The momentum is moving forward for him to take over his father's kingdom. Basically, again, he's starting this rebellion against his own father. And, and Ahithophel, he decides to switch sides. And not only does he decide to switch sides from the good side to the perceivable bad side, he's the actual one that gives the orders to go and kill King David. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Ahithophel, you, you want to take this man of God's life, somebody that you've grown so close to over years? Check this out, 2 Samuel 17, 1 through 4. Furthermore, Ahithophel said to Absalom, this is Ahithophel talking, Please let me choose 12,000 men that I may arise and pursue David tonight. Forget this. We ain't waiting. We going right now. When are we going? We going right now. I will come upon him while he, was re- while he is weary, exhausted, and terrify him so that all the people who are with him will flee. Then I will strike down the king alone. What? 12,000 men, but leave those guys out. I'm going to do it myself. David I got, or, or, or Absalom, I got this. I want to take the king out myself. I will bring back all the people to you, then return everyone. uh, It says the return of everyone depends on the man that you seek. Then all the people will be at peace. So the plan pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. David was betrayed by one of the ones that he thought he can rely on the most. Anybody ever been betrayed by somebody you thought that you could trust, somebody that maybe you've confided in, somebody you've shared your heart with, or maybe even shared your life with, and the one that you thought that if, if anybody had your back, they were the one that have your back. And then at the same token, while they had your back, they take out a knife and stab that same back that you thought they had. Can anybody relate? I, I, I can imagine that most all of us can relate to situations where we were betrayed in some way. Could be a close friend, could be a family member. Somebody that you just, man, you just thought never would, would jump ship on your relationship. This is what this guy of Ahithophel did. Like, what, what, is this, what is this guy's deal, right? David's trust as advisor, one, the, one of the ones that was in his inner, inner circle. He was, he was given access to David's inner circle, and all of a sudden now he's switching sides, and he takes the knife out to stab David in the back. Let's dig a little bit deeper. In 2 Samuel 23, 34, it says, Eliphalet, son of Abishai, come on, these biblical names. If you ever need an exercise in, in like just maybe your verbiage or your vocabulary or saying certain words, just pull up the Old Testament and start reading some of these, these Old Testament names. That's not an actual name, but sometimes these words will stretch you, so I just try to get like, you know, exercise. Eliphalet, the son of Abishai, the son of the Makathite. Check this out. Eliam. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel. Oh, hold up. Wait a minute. Let me put Eliam in it. <laughs> we start to see the picture come together, right? We start to see what this dude Ahithophel's deal really is. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. And David's listing of his mighty men, we discover that Ahithophel had a son 
named Eliam. Check this out, 2 Samuel 11, 2 and 3. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. Uh-oh, we, some of us know this story. We know what's about to go around, right? Say, no, no, David, don't do it, bro. Don't do it, man. <laughs> Sorry, man. I, I, this is, I got like my own spin on stuff, like how I read scripture. <laughs> Sorry, guys, if I'm messing you up this morning. <laughs> and it's, it says, hold on, let me find where I'm at again. Hold on. <laughs> Let me start over on this one. I messed myself. It says, then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. <laughs> Why are you laughing, man? That ain't what? Probably because you know what I'm about to say. Um, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba? Of course, this is Bathsheba. She on a roof bathing. That's, her name is prophetic. Her name should really be taking a, a bath in your inner room, in your bathroom, when nobody can see you, Sheba. That's what it should be. Not a, on a roof, Sheba. Girl, get your Sheba. Get your, girl, what you doing on your roof? Anyways. <laughs> so let me read that verse again, because some of y'all getting lost, all right? Uh, Verse 3, so David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? Uh-oh. The wife of Uriah the Hittite? Aha! Aha! Those of you in last service, don't mess this up. Don't ruin it. Uh, <laughs> one of the movies I grew up watching, and I, I only can, I can watch it when it comes on syndicated TV, when it's edited, like made for TV version. I don't know how my parents let me watch this movie while, while I was growing up, and I watched it probably about 100 times when I was coming up through my adolescence because it was just so funny. But one of the, one of the movies that I, I grew up watching, I don't want to say the name, but at the end of the movie, there's this guy, right? He's, he's a Jewish guy, and he's a, in the back of a barbershop, and he's telling a story about how he's in a restaurant, and they brought him a bowl of soup. So he's telling a story, and I'm going to try to get the accent right. He says, he says so, so I'm sitting down, and the waiter, he brings me the soup. And I look at the waiter, and I said, what's wrong? I said, taste the soup. The waiter looks at me, he says, what's wrong with the soup? I said, taste the soup. What's wrong with the soup? Taste the soup. What's wrong with the soup? Taste the soup. Okay, where's the spoon? Aha! Aha! But basically what he was trying to say that the waiter brought him a bowl of soup without a spoon to eat it. So he just went on this little interchange like, hey, bro, you didn't bring me a spoon. But he had to go down this rabbit trail. Anyway, this was an aha moment. Aha! This was an aha moment. For me, at least anyways. Now I can see what drove Ahithophel to be so cantankerous against his former boss, to want to get him back and stab him in the back for what he did, man. Dude, this is crazy. Hithophel, he was not going to let David get away for what he did to his granddaughter, for what he did to his family. David, by his acts of selfishness, literally destroyed a family and dragged a family name through the mud. So Ahithophel, serving King David, probably had this inner working of all this, 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 this anger and this madness and this, this, this injustice inside of him. And I can imagine it was just brewing and bubbling up. But he is like smiling. Yeah, David, you know, yeah, it's all good, David. Giving David good advice for years. But this thing is brewing inside of him. Sins of the heart. Sins of the heart. Had no outward manifestation, but he's dealing with it on the inside. How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm all good. I'm blessed and highly favored. Glory to God. But on the inside, man, you're seething. 
Ahithophel was waiting for the right opportune moment, and he saw it in uh, Absalom, his son, causing a rebellion. Uh-oh, I got, I got this now. David, I'm going to be the one. Let me be the one to take, or Absalom, let me be the one to take the life of David. He wanted to make David pay. When we're, when we're offended, when there's injustice done against us or other individuals, or we see, man, that that, you know, what, 22-year-old kid, 19-year-old kid was just jogging and he ended up getting shot, there's mind his own business. Somebody needs to pay for that. That was right. That, that wasn't right. That was unjust. Boiling and seething up inside of us. Check, check this out. This is what Ahithophel was dealing with. He had, he had a long-standing grudge, and, and the definition of a grudge is a persistent feeling of resentment, especially one due to some cause such as insult or injury, or a strong feeling of anger towards someone that lasts a long time. I want to share uh, three things that happen when we can't forgive and release and walk in mercy as Jesus calls us to walk in mercy. And we'll, we'll look at, too, like what's the dichotomy of this thing where, where there's justice embedded on it. We desire it and long for justice, but at the same token, Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who have mercy. Right? It's a conflict, God. But the first thing that can happen when we don't choose to forgive and release some of the things that the wrongs that have been done to us or others that we love or individuals that we carry a burden for is that our better judgment can be clouded. When we choose not to forgive and we choose to hold on to things, we begin to live life and make decisions not out of good judgment, but out of now that woundedness that we refuse to release and let God heal. Now my future decision making has the potential to be misguided because of my past hurt. And I'm so mad at this, them for they did such and such. And I'm not thinking straight. My judgment is clouded. This guy, this wise guy, this man of ultimate wisdom, end up making the wrong choice. And he went to the wrong side. He went to the dark side like Anakin Skywalker. He ended up going to the dark side. Don't do it. Don't do it. His judgment was clouded by all the stuff that was going on inside of him. Secondly, when we don't choose to have mercy and we don't choose to release and forgive offenses, the one that you intend to win really loses. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get David back. Vengeance is going to, blood needs to be shed. I'm going to get this. I'm going to win. Check this out. 2 Samuel 17, verse 5 through 7. We'll hit 14 and 23 along the way. It says, then Absalom said, how can Hushai the archite now call, sorry, now call Hushai the archite. Let me pause right there. Hushai, this guy Hushai. A uh, little background on Hushai. Hushai was actually on David's side. He was the one that went to David when he was, he was kicked out of the kingdom, basically, and David left his kingdom to go into the wilderness. And Hushai said, I'm going to follow you, King David. I am loyal to you. If you die, I'm going to die with you. I'm going to serve you to my last breath. And David said, that's great. I appreciate your loyalty, but this is what I want you to do, Hushai. I want you to go to Absalom, and you be a voice that confuses the voice of Ahithophel. You be my internal spy. So Hushai was all about it. So he ended up in the court of Absalom with Ahithophel. And this is where this is going down right now. So Absalom said, now call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he says too. Call this guy Hushai in. Let us, I know I got your advice. Ahithophel, you want to go kill King David. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. But let me call somebody else in. Somebody else that also served David. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. 
So Hushai said to Absalom, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good. Don't listen to this dude. This dude is tripping. He's got some issues. He's a little crazy. You know, I saw him smoking some stuff the other day in the back. He probably, you probably got some stuff that's going on in turn. You don't want to listen to this guy right now. But I'm going to check this out. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. The advice of Ahithophel was not, has not, the advice of Ahithophel has, has given is not good at this time. So Absalom and all the men said to Israel, the advice of Hushai the archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. God already had an intended mind in place. And he just used certain individuals to bring about and accomplish his will. Then we jump down to verse 23. Now, when Ahithophel, check this out. When Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, his advice to go kill King David, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Check this out. This is what he did. This guy full of wisdom. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself. And he died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. This guy that thought he was going to have the upper hand, get vengeance, get blood, eye for an eye, he was the one that really ended up losing in the long run. And when we can't get on the same path, wavelength as God and, and, and releasing these things and showing the true mercy of God, although there still need to be justice, showing the true need, the mercy of God, we are the ones that end up suffering for it when we don't intend to. We, we want to make others suffer. We want to make others pay, but we are the ones that ultimately end up paying when we can't release those things. And as you look at this on another, Ahithophel is, is actually a character. It further typifies Jesus Christ as, or David, King David as, as a type of Christ, seeing that Jesus was also betrayed by somebody in his inner circle. We know Judas, right? He, he betrayed Jesus and he ended up hanging himself. And we can see these types all throughout, you know, Old Testament to see New Testament fulfilled. But he further typifies this. Now, check this out. Another crazy thing, like, so if Ahithophel was, was Bathsheba's grandfather, that means that Ahithophel had a great grandson that walked in a crazy amount of wisdom, thus said of him in the word of God that nobody had the same amount of wisdom here on earth other than Jesus. King Solomon was Ahithophel's great grandson. Isn't that crazy? And he probably didn't. Well, obviously, he took his life. He wasn't able to see the, full, the, the fruition of what his great-grandson was going to step into because he lost. Crazy. If I can have the worship team come up, and I'm going to uh, close with this. Last point, last point in this message. Um, I think the third thing, and there's many things that happened, but I just wanted to highlight three. The third thing, and I think in the most significant thing that happens when we don't choose to release and forgive is that we miss out on, on partaking of the divine nature of Jesus Christ when we don't choose mercy. I think that's the greatest thing, right? We're called to grow up into the image of Christ. And when we don't take opportunities, when we're offended, when we're, there's injustices done against us, or we don't take those opportunities to grow up into the nature of Christ by showing mercy. We miss out on partaking of his nature. Um, we can look at Jesus. Jesus, man, he didn't hold grudges, right? He didn't harbor unforgiveness, although he had all the right to. He didn't do that. Jesus didn't even try to get even. He says, man, don't you know I can call down a legion of agents if I want to? Man, you don't know. You don't know what I got, man. You don't know what I got in my back pocket. He says, but I'm not going to do that. 
That's not me. I am just, but yes, I am full of mercy. Mm. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm not going to try to get even. I'm not going to have an eye for an eye. I love this. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19, it says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one by the flesh, even though we have known Christ by the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. Come on, somebody. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us, who reconciled us, who made us right, who brought us back to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Check this out, verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ. He was in Christ reconciling or bringing back the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings. He says, not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Literally in the Greek, that Greek word for counting is logitsomai, if I can pronounce it right, logitsomai. I'm probably not pronouncing it right. But that Greek word literally depicts, and it means that he chooses not to remember. Have we offended God? Of course we have. We've offended God with the greatest offense anybody could ever offend anybody. But he chose not to remember. The Bible literally says he has placed our sins in a place, uh, in a sea where he, he doesn't remember them anymore. Sometimes in our attempts to, to be right or satisfy and unresolved in justice, we forget all that was included in our path to become righteous. How can we not be full of mercy when the king of the universe was full of mercy towards us? At a time when I was yet his enemy, at a time when I was yet a sinner, at a time when I was utterly helpless, he had mercy on me. I encourage you to remember all that God has done for you, and that's, that may give you the, the added grace to release and forgive somebody else. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. He didn't just say I, he, he was made to carry sin, although he was. He was made to be sin. Jesus was made to be sin in efforts to restore us back to God. He was willing to give up being right so he can make us right. Jesus could have said, man, I'm never wrong, which he's never wrong. He could, say, I could, I, he could have said, I am never wrong, so you go and deal with the consequences of your sin. But he instead became sin so that we can now become the righteousness of God. We can be made right. You say, man, God is a just God. There needs to be blood. Blood needs to be shed. Well, let me tell you, blood was shed on the cross of Calvary over 2,000 years ago. Somebody needs to pay. Let me tell you what. Somebody did pay the ultimate price. No, they, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they, they, how they treated me. You don't know how they messed my life up. They need to come to justice. The justice of God is satisfied on the cross of Calvary. Not just for us, but for all of mankind. And we can't withhold that seeking justice for us when we've been wrongly treated. Amen? 
I want to uh, close with this, uh, this testimony. I met a woman years ago, years ago, probably a little over 10 years ago now, and she came up to me after a church service, and she was sharing with me her testimony. Um, she got married later in life, and she, was, she really was patient. She wasn't trying to go out looking for anybody. And, and uh, God brought, she felt God brought somebody into her life, and it was a little bit later in life. She got all excited, and she ended up getting married. And she got married to this guy, this, this man of the cloth, this, this minister. And everything was fine. Everything was good. All, uh, you know, at least she thought everything was good. Until one day she started to feel, she didn't, she didn't feel right. She, she went to the doctor's office, started to get tests, started to get blood tests. And uh, the test came back and it revealed that she had HIV, which progressed into AIDS. And she was like, what? She's like, I don't, I don't put myself in any situation where I could have contracted this. Like, what do you mean I have AIDS? And she, and you know, so basically, she had to deduce that her now husband was the only one that could have given her this thing. So she confronted him and uh, come to find out he was honest with her. And at this point in the marriage, he was wanting to do his own thing. He had gone out and slept with many people, contracted HIV at advanced stages of AIDS. He knew about it. He just didn't want to say anything to her. So, man, she was devastated. Basically given a death sentence from the person that she loved and thought loved her back. So time progressed and his health began to deteriorate. And he got so bad that he couldn't take care of himself. But this lady, this lady, she loved the Lord, man. She loved the Lord and she was true to her commitment to love and and sickness and health and good or bad, whatever the case may be. She said, God, I'm going to honor you in my commitment, and I'm going to choose to love. She stayed with her husband, although he was still going out and sleeping on her. And he got so bad that he couldn't take care of himself. So he was home, bedridden. She literally was the caretaker for her husband in the last stages of his life. She would bathe him, wash him, pray over him, constantly let him know that she had forgiven him for what he did. What a picture of mercy. No, 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 you gave this to me. You're going to pay. You go out and figure it out on your own. You find somebody to take care of you. No, 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 no. She took care of this man till he breathed his last breath. Man, what mercy. This lady was free on the inside. She could have been, she could have chose to be bound by all this bitterness and unforgiveness and even in her state dealing with AIDS and her treatment. So her husband ends up passing away and, you know, time moves on. She's still getting treatment and crazy thing, man, crazy thing. One day she goes to the doctor. Doctor's running her blood test. She said, ma'am, I don't know what this is, but I don't see any AIDS in your blood. She, She said, you are HIV and AIDS free. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Some of you in this room may be holding on to certain things, certain infractions, certain injustices that have been brewing over time, but I encourage you, let this be the, let this be the expiration date on the offense that was done to you. Let it, let it be released this morning. Choose forgiveness this morning. This lady I was telling you about, she's alive to this day. She's loving God to this very moment as we speak, free as she can be. 
Some of you are locked in cages because of what you can't release. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.